Hey everybody, this is Rafe Telsch and this is episode 71 of Have Not Seen This, a weekly in-depth look at a much-beloved movie selected specifically by our guest that they're a little surprised when they find out people have not seen. Hope everyone is having a great week out there. We did it! We got an episode put together in record time so that we could have a standard movie conversation episode this week. Uh, As I mentioned on Monday, the episode I had planned for this week, the guest ended up being kind of a no-show, and uh, I was behind because I hadn't banked episodes. I want to thank... Everybody who stepped up this week and offered to record a new episode. I've got actually several planned to record over the next few days, so I will have a bank built back up. Uh, And a couple of people who reached out but had been recent guests, so I didn't want to uh, put them back to back as far as episodes go. But we've got a lot of episodes planned, uh, and I, I just... I really want to thank everybody for that. So thank you, especially to Chris Talent, who was available to record something. And we haven't heard from Chris since way back in the early days of the podcast. Uh, His original appearance, we talked about Kentucky Fried Movie. And for this, he picked 1999's Galaxy Quest. Uh, We had actually picked this movie months ago for when Chris was going to return whenever. And that whenever just happened to be, hey, can you do that this week? And he was wonderful about stepping up and doing that and uh, got the movie revisited, which, uh, man, one of my favorite comedies. And I say that in the episode and it holds true. This was a great one to sit down and revisit. So uh, thank you to everybody. Thank you to Chris. And here we go with our conversation about 1999's Galaxy Quest. So for two guys who uh, have a podcast together, we don't talk a whole lot. <laughs> no, we really don't. I mean, we chat in here, but that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> How you been, man? Oh, just busy trying to take care of shit around here. And honestly, I've been playing Hearthstone more than anything else. Yeah. I got up to gold rank one and then went on a losing spree. So now I'm back to rank four. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I told you, other than uh, logging in so that we can't raid, uh, I, I'm not really logging into World of Warcraft much at all. Hopefully that'll change with uh, 9.1 coming up, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I mean, usually if I log on to play, I'm playing with Rachel, if anything. So right. we just do mog farming, if anything, just because yeah. we're at 40, you know, there's really no other reason to do anything. So we just play Classic or yeah. Burning Crusade, but. Yeah, I get that. I just, it just doesn't have any draw for me. <laughs> well, it's one of those things where it's like you've done everything. So, well, and I, from I, maybe it's a stupid choice. In fact, it's, it's definitely a stupid choice. I'll be the first <laughs> to admit it was a stupid choice. But in my head, you know, wanting to role play and that kind of thing, uh, I, I made the decision that I was not, that my character was going to stay in the Shadowlands. Like, that's, the storyline would not have us jumping back and forth between the Shadowlands and old world content and that kind of stuff. So my character is going to stay in the Shadowlands. But that means like during downtime, I'm not going back and farming old stuff for like transmogs and such. So right. uh, we'll, we'll see how long, how much longer I stick with that. <laughs> so do you, you don't have any alts? Oh yeah. I've got, I've got, oh, a, okay. I've got a capped, uh, a capped mage and a capped maybe shaman. Yeah. Shaman. Yeah, Shaman's the only one I have that's Alliance. Yeah. And then I want to say I have five other characters, not including the main, that are all capped. Because I worked on the, um, the the Shaman's the only one that's Venthyr. And then I have at least one in every other um, Covenant, just to see what they did. And then I got right. them all to 40. Right. But there's only so much you can do, you know? Now, are you still working at home or did they call you back? 
said, um, and they're supposed to announce it, I guess, publicly or whatever, but um, if you don't have a job dedicated to a facility, you are allowed to work from home hmm. forever. They're well, actually selling buildings. I wondered if there were going to be some companies who realized that that was a smart move, not only out of convenience for the employee, but right. also from a financial standpoint, they don't have to provide space for them for, for employees. I, I wondered if how many companies would be smart enough to do that. And the answer has been not many because most em- companies don't trust their employees. And so therefore seem to be calling them back. Well, and I think is in kind of a unique position because I don't know how many buildings has, but they have their own realty company that buys buildings and other land. So when everyone went home, they started losing money. So they started selling property and buildings and leasing and stuff like that just to kind of make money again. Right. It's something else, man. It's I, I, I think that that's the trend that's really bothering me lately as as a film lover, like, you know, I love movies. I love going to mm-hmm. the movies in the theater. I'm not ready to go to, to the movie theater yet. And the trend that's really been bothering me lately has been the amount of movies that are advertising and coming out with trailers and really hitting the only in theaters. Like, we're yes. not going to do the joint release. And that's that's fine. Don't do the joint release. But you, the, the only in theaters tagline for some reason is really grating me because essentially to me it's like – are you willing to risk your health to go see this movie? And, you know, there's not a whole lot of movies that are going to draw me in that exactly. way. <laughs> now, I, I can say in the past month, I think, well, I think the first movie I saw post-pandemic was Nobody. I have not seen that yet. If you like John Wick, it's kind of a washed-down version of that, but it's still entertaining. It's just a popcorn film. And then when I went to Oklahoma, I saw In the Heights. That was really good. And then, um, which is on yes. HBO Max, though, so I can sit in my living room and watch that, right? And I didn't realize it was just streaming, <laughs> right? But it was still cool, and there was next to nobody in the theater. Well, and like you know, reoccurring guest on the show, Thomas Mariani, ha- has gone back to the theater. I think he went to mm-hmm. see In the Heights in the theater, and that's mm-hmm. that's great. He feels comfortable doing that. You know, I'm certainly not knocking on people who have made that decision. I, I'm not comfortable with that yet. I, I just, uh, my, my son asked me the other day because we, I, we had to stop by the grocery store. I did not have him come in. I have not had him go into the store with me the entire pandemic. And I grabbed my mask and he goes, but you're fully vaccinated. And I said, yeah, yeah. but I don't I trust everybody else. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> if nothing else. This pandemic has shown me how little we should trust other people. <laughs> but, but that was my point. Cause Marissa and I were going to go see just this last week and going to go see the quiet place part two. Uh, which I want to see. And I mean, there's four or five movie theaters within like a three mile radius of here. And it was sold out. And I don't know if that's with you know, distancing or whatever, or if somebody, cause you have this new option where you can buy the theater for a hundred bucks. Right. Or did somebody have like a private party and just buy that theater for that time? Right. I don't know. Gotcha. So one of the questions I've added since the last time uh, you were on, because you were one of the first guests and yeah. dummy me didn't think to add this question was, you know, what are your have not seen this movies? The podcast is about movies we're surprised other people have not seen. And I, th- when I was putting this together for us to talk, I was like, well, this should be a really interesting question because I know you and I talked about your experience seeing movies as a child 
was was very sheltered, was very limited. I didn't see most of anything. Right. And and you did kind of talk a little bit about that when we talked about Kentucky Fried Movie. Yeah. So I, I, I figure this has to be an interesting list from you of have not seen this movie. So what are the big ones that people give you a hard time over not having seen? Um, put it this way. I didn't see any of the Star Wars movies until episode three came out. And then I watched them all in numerical order, which I constantly get shit about. Yeah. What the? F- that's- yeah, I know. I know. I know. Because <laughs> I'm like, well, I'll just watch them in numerical order. And then everyone's like, dude, why'd you do that? And I'm like, because it's alphanumeric, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah. But like the the whole John Landis thing with like Pretty in Pink and well, I think that's Landis. But um, no, that's Pretty uh, in Pink. Uh, John Hughes. Oh, Hughes. Sorry. Yeah. But the the all of those, the. um those teenage ones from the eighties. I've never seen any of those. And one of my best friends was called Ducky. I never knew where he got his name from the the (laughs) breakfast club. You've never seen the breakfast club. No, no. Wow. See, (laughs) that's see, those are ones I would think you would have jumped on fixing like star Wars. Yeah. That's that's. And ironically, because of this movie, I've never seen star Trek, like any of the movies. You've never seen any of the star Trek movies. No. The only time I ever watched Star Trek, the show was when my sister was watching it, like after church on Sunday afternoons. All right. So that's going to scrape out about 20 minutes of our conversation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that's see the I know. I know there's some joke about like fish in space or something like that, but I don't know any of the back line about it. The first uh, my introduction to Star Trek was my family visited my uncle who lived in the Washington, D.C. area. Uh, and his family, and he took us to see The Wrath of Khan. And okay. that was my introduction to Star Trek and sci-fi beyond Star Wars. And that one has some moments that can be quite terrifying for a younger kid, which I, I was at the time. And uh, But it it really kind of bred that love of that kind of storytelling for me. So I've been a, a lifelong Star Trek fan uh, like I was all stoked. I remember being all stoked when uh, the next generation was coming out and it had the dude from reading rainbow in it. And it had yeah. uh, the dude from uh, the, the kid from stand by me who I looked like as a kid. Like if you look, <laughs> I'm not kidding. If you look at, at childhood pictures of me, mm-hmm. he and I looked pretty damn identical to the point that my mother has a hard time watching stand by me because it reminds her too much of me and my friends going out and playing in the woods. <laughs> Oh, that's cool. Um, so like I was all stoked when when Next Generation was coming out and um, you know, I mean I've been a, been a Star Trek fan most of my life, but uh that's yeah, not I've, I've never seen any of them. Cuz I would that, see and that was another one I was going to ask you because uh I know you're into Doctor Who because you and I, I have chatted Doctor Who. Yes. Doctor Who, but not You Star have Trek. a TARDIS as a background. Yes. I have my TARDIS <laughs> yeah, as my background right now. Yes. <laughs> Hell, when me and my wife got married, we walked into the the reception to the Doctor Who theme. <laughs> really <laughs> that's how geeky we can get i mean i i wore a tux with chucks i had a special order size 18 converse all-stars <laughs> from converse <laughs> uh, i will admit that when i when i moved to teaching and i like i, I only wear a suit as a teacher two or three times a year yeah uh, but i always wear them with my converse <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, well, let's get into the movie that you've picked for uh, this week's conversation. And you've picked a great one, Galaxy Quest from 1999. 
written yes. by David Howard and Robert Gordon, directed by Dean Pariseau, starring Tim Allen, Sigourney Weaver, Alan Rickman, Tony Shalhoub, Sam Rockwell, Daryl Mitchell, Enrico Colantoni, and Robin Sachs. In the far reaches of the galaxy, a civilization is under siege. We are all that is left. They've searched the universe for a leader. Stay tuned for scenes from next week's Galaxy Quest. Never give up. Never surrender. You will save us. What they got. Never give up. And never surrender. We're struggling TV actors. You are our last hope. Where's my limo? Okie dokie. And they're about to put on a command performance. Eight million light years away. We are actors, not astronauts. You are our protectors. That was a hell of a thing. Now. Laredo, take us out. You gotta move to the right. Would you sit your ass down? You wanna drive this to... Acting like heroes. The whole thing was just a misunderstanding. May not be enough. They look like little children. Hi, little guy. I'm done. DreamWorks Pictures presents Tim Allen, Sigourney Weaver, Alan Rickman, Galaxy Quest. You're just gonna have to kill it. We'll go for the mouth to throw his vulnerable spots. It's a rocket that not any vulnerable spots. There is a retrospective documentary about Galaxy Quest on on Amazon Prime. I don't know if oh you really? Know. Yeah. No, I haven't seen that. And somebody asks in the intro to that, who hasn't seen Galaxy Quest? And I went, <laughs> well, that kind of makes it a crappy pick for have not seen this. But the truth <laughs> is, people did not go see this movie in the movie theater. It did not do well in the in the box office. It was mismarketed. No. Yeah. Uh, and it has really picked up a following on home video, DVD, streaming. So, of course, that leads into our, our normal first question, which is how do you describe this movie to someone who hasn't seen it? How do you convince them, especially since you don't have Star Trek as a context, how do you sell them on wanting to see this movie? Well, normally if somebody says, you know, um, how, how did you come across this? And I say somebody basically goes to one of these conventions and tells a bunch of actors that they've kind of developed their show into life and they want them to play their roles in space without them knowing that it's a role. <laughs> so you, I think there was an SNL skit where Shatner kind yep. of goes just AWOL on everybody in the convention. Like, don't you nerds have jobs or something like that? He, he tells everyone, have you seen this, this SNL skit? Not in a long time. Yeah, he tells but... everyone to get a life. <laughs> he tells everyone, you're turning something I did as a lark into an enormous waste of time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a complete <laughs> Shatner meltdown at the con moment, which it really is kind of the jumping off point for this movie, for, for one of the storylines. Right. It's it's kind of what this begins as, but that's kind of what this starts as. It, it's this alien race sees these TV shows as like a savior to their their life 
and that's what they build their entire future around. And then they run into trouble and then go get the actors to help them. Not realizing that they're actors. Yeah, not realizing okay. they're they're fake. That's, that's not a bad summary. <laughs> so what is your history with this movie? Like if you're if you don't have Star Trek as a background, why would when why would you go see this movie? When when did you see this movie? This is kind of interesting. Um in ninety nine, I went and bought a DVD player and it came with, it was from Best Buy. So it was when you bought a DVD player, they gave you a coupon for two free DVDs. Hmm. So I bought The Sixth Sense and this movie. Hmm. So it was one of the first movies I ever bought on DVD. And it just, one of those that stuck with me. It was the comedy aspect. It was Tim Allen and Sigourney Weaver being cheesy as all hell. It was the Tony Shalhoub, not realizing he was serious at all throughout the entire thing. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it was just fun. It was one of those movies you didn't have to really sit there and think about the entire time. It was just really fun movie to watch. So I, I guess my, uh, my question is, did you, if you didn't have track as a background and you said, well, maybe you had seen the SNL skit by then. Did, did you understand the context of what was going on here that, how it was building on this idea. It was kind of maligning geek culture, but it also was doing it from a place where it's going, we are geeks and this is us kind of making fun, but not really of geek culture to kick things off. Yes. And no, I have enough friends who are big star Trek fans. One of my first girlfriends was a huge Trekkie. So I knew enough about it because she would quote like episodes. Mm-hmm. So she would say like, well, an episode, blah, 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 this happens. And I'm like, okay, what the hell's a triple, you know? <laughs> and it's like, well, it's like, it's like a cat that hasn't been shaved in seven years. And it's like, uh, okay. You know, and she'd pull out this stuffed animal. <laughs> I'm like, what the hell is that? It looks like a duster. It's just one of those types of things. So I knew enough about the show to understand what they were parodying, but at the same time, it didn't feel like a parody. It was almost like, a, a love letter to the show exactly and that's and that's why i was saying kind of doing it from the point of going we're geeks because it is and and so many people in that documentary pointed out that when they saw this their first thought was okay i get i get what's going on here i got made fun of being a geek for through all of high school i get it and then realizing that that's what it initially appears to be doing but it's not what it's doing it really right. is a love letter to fandom in a lot of ways right because especially by i want to say like the third act you realize this isn't poking fun at those people this no. is celebrating them exactly Exactly. Which is one of the things that that really endears this movie to me. I mean, this is one of my favorite comedies for a multitude of reasons, many of which you've already kind of summarized there, which we'll probably go deeper into. But the, the killer cast, for one. Oh, yeah. Um, but then just the whole men mindset it has about fandom. And it's it's funny because as someone who has done sci-fi conventions, as someone who has 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 been in that world, uh, we started referring to this in a different way. And it's kind of funny because this builds upon that Shatner get a life sketch, but yet we would refer one guest in particular from classic Star Trek, we referred to as having Galaxy Quest syndrome, where <laughs> very clearly uh, showing up to cons and gigs was a paycheck for them. It was how they are making their living now but they didn't actually really want that interaction with the fans anymore. Right. They were just doing it literally to, for nothing else to 
fulfill the contract. Right. Right. Yeah. And I can think of one, one Trek actor in particular who, um, just really kind of fell that way. Now, I don't know if that, that actor is still in that, that position, uh, or maybe they've embraced fandom a little bit more now, but when, when Jason has his meltdown at the fans, that, that Shatner moment, that's, I I've seen, uh, real sci-fi stars have that kind of mindset of just, I'm done with you now. And it's like, yeah. Dude, before you reach that point, take a break, go back to your hotel room, something. But these are people who paid lots of money to to yeah. see you here. Yeah, and they only get what thirty seconds to to yeah. interact. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, yeah, and see, that's that's my my issue with cons is the first ones that I went to were smaller conventions, yeah. and yeah, you got your thirty seconds with the celebrity, but that tended to be they the the signings were free like you had to maybe buy the picture yeah. or they would sign if you brought something but that was just free and right. nowadays no it's this is your ticket price and then yeah. every celebrity is going to be tw another 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 dollars on top of that and you're still only getting 30 seconds with them yeah and to me and there's like lots of people who are like well why don't you just buy the autograph online and it's like because that 30 seconds is what you're paying for you're right. not really paying for unless you're unless you're going to resell the stuff you're not really paying for the signature you're paying for that 30 seconds that you get with the person right you want the interaction right right yeah. so all right well let's let's focus a little more on galaxy quest and <laughs> rafe's con days experiences <laughs> the movie sits at 90 percent at rotten tomatoes with a 79 percent audience score it sits at 70 percent at metacritic finding a negative review for this proved to be very difficult because almost all of the venues the print venues that had negative reviews for this no longer have those reviews up in their archives really <laughs> yeah so uh so i had to go to spliced wire for our negative review uh rob blackwelder wrote somewhere along the way galaxy quest forgets that it's meant to be goofing on the serio comic sincerity of star trek and its ilk and lets the comedy stall out in favor of its own superficial earnestness all that's left are a few scraps of laughs and the absurdly nonsensical sci-fi plot about defending the innocuous nerd aliens from a nefarious race of imposing barnacled space beasts which to me uh, feels like he missed the point that it wasn't exactly what Trek. I was going to say. He completely whiffed. Yeah. Not the first time we've read a negative review that missed the point of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The positive review, of course, comes. I always like to use Roger Ebert if I can. And yes. uh, I remember seeing his review, uh, his video review of this, but his print review said the movie's humor works best when the illogic of the TV show gets in the way. There is on board, for example, a passageway blocking by alternating vertical and horizontal clappers that smash back and forth across the passageway. <laughs> Negotiating it could be fatal. Why are they there? No reason, just because they look good on TV. <laughs> this scene was poorly written. <laughs> right. Screw this. <laughs> this scene was poorly written and I'm not doing it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think when it, it, like, there's a line in there that I missed until this time. There were several things that I picked up on on this viewing, and I've probably seen this movie half a dozen times easily. Oh, yeah. Um, but there's a line in the scene before that when they're crossing over, they get to the thing and they have to cross over the beam. And he says something about crossing over the fan that we have in every episode. Yes. 
And I never caught him saying that before, but it's like, oh, okay, this is the stock set piece that they had in every single episode. Or or before that, when when um when Gwen goes, why is it always vents? Because in every right. movie she's crawling through a vent, like right. aliens and <laughs> which I guess let's go ahead and jump to that. The, the casting <laughs> casting Sigourney Weaver in that role is one of the now they originally did not want any well-known actors especially sci-fi actors uh in this and you look at the cast and it is uh so many uh lesser known or on up and comers who then up and came so you know obviously tim allen obviously alan rickman tony shalhoub had done wings yes you know he, he it would be another two or three years before he starts monk which is yes. what really that's what his, really ballooned him. Yeah. Right. Sam Rockwell. Nobody knew who Sam Rockwell was. No, in fact, he, they it quote was years that, before they, Moon. They quote yeah. that in the documentary. That <laughs> nobody knew, knew who Sam Rockwell was. Uh, Daryl Chill Mitchell had done a couple of things. Enrico Colantali was a uh, TV actor. Yeah. You know, I mean, and then you have like Rain Wilson. Yeah, that was before he got big on The Office. Right. So, so many up and comers. But in the midst of all of this, Sigourney Weaver wants to do this film. And it's, to me, it's it's brilliant casting because it is so antithetical to the part that we know her as. We know her as short, brunette, hard-ass Ripley, you know, who, who right. started out as a, as a blue-collar worker and ends up becoming, over the course of the Alien movies, just a force to be reckoned with. Right. Just a badass altogether. And here she's in a blonde wig. Uh, <laughs> she, she repeats computers. And her job is to repeat <laughs> the, what the computer says, which that scene, again, I've seen this movie easily half a dozen times, if not more. That scene in the, the meeting room where <laughs> she is repeating what the computer says, and then he asks a question, and she repeats the question back to the computer, still has me rolling about yeah. just how absurd it is in which she finally snaps and is like, I have one job to do on this ship and stupid, but I'm going to do it. And it's right. Like, and and poor Tommy's like, okay, go ahead. I'm, right. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, it's just a brilliant casting move to put her in a role that's so opposite the sci-fi presence that she has had up to this point. Yeah. And she still nails it every yeah. single time. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, and that's true of a lot of the cast members. I mean, you would not expect Alan Rickman, who rose to cultural fame in Die Hard, playing the bad guy. Right. Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, playing the bad guy. Quigley Down Under, which nobody has seen. Perfect have not seen this movie. <laughs> playing the bad guy. Yeah. Uh, Pride and Prejudice. You know, I mean, a classic actor. And suddenly he's doing comedy in a sci-fi movie same year by the way that dogma comes out so nobody has seen right. him do comedy and then suddenly you get the one-two punch of dogma and this but but think about it he's a classically trained actor who played was it william the third yes richard, <laughs> and richard the third yes and he's playing <laughs> yeah and he's so he is so brilliant in this and it's funny because you know every time of course the, the obvious gag with alan rickman is he's wearing the headpiece which through the entire thing if you if you go to a sci-fi convention for those of you who've not been to a sci-fi convention if you go to a sci-fi convention they're not wearing their uniform they're not wearing their makeup especially if they play an alien race that just doesn't happen so the fact that he's doing that throughout the film is hilarious but then early on there's a scene where he's talking 
with Sigourney Weaver's character on the phone. He's at home. And he still has, and he the, still hair. has the headpiece on. <laughs> and it made me think of uh, Robert Downey Jr. in Tropic Thunder about you mm-hmm. don't drop character until you record the commentary track. <laughs> exactly. The white guy playing, uh, was it white guy playing an Australian guy playing a black guy or something like that? Yes, yes. We won't get into, <laughs> we won't get into the problematic nature of that. <laughs> but it just and and Rickman is brilliant in this film. You oh, know, yeah. it's and it's his his comedic timing is brilliant, and yet then when you get to his character's like key moment. You know, he has that phrase that he doesn't want to say and he doesn't want to say. And the look of disgust on his face when the fans are coming up to the table and saying, buy Graptar's hammer. And he just yeah. starts throwing the pictures at them to get yeah. them to go away faster. <laughs> and then when the, the alien on the ship starts saying it to him, he's just like, don't do that. Do not say that. Yeah. He's like, don't. <laughs> so when he gets that moment for him to actually say it in earnest. Yes. And it's like, my God, that is a brilliant moment of acting. Oh, and it hits like a hammer, too. Right, yeah. Well, and that's the thing I noticed with the film this time through is literally like the last act of the movie is all is nothing but callbacks to stuff that was established early on in the film. Exactly. So like the by Graptar's hammer, the yeah. the mines in the minefield, the Omega 13, the the uh, all of it is stuff that was established early on in the movie, but none of it is done in a way that hits you over the head with it of, oh, this is going to come back. I mean, if you're if you're a clever audience member, you're going to realize the Omega-13 is going to come into play. Right. But ironically, they're all done with Chekhov's gun. <laughs> right. But that's what I'm saying. Is, there's so many Chekhov gun in this movie, and yet none of them feel, except for maybe the Omega-13, none of them feel like they're, you're being hit over the head. Like, they all just feel authentic to... Oh, of course he's smart enough to to use the mines because that's right. a strategy. It's they were they weren't laid down in that scene of oh we can come back to this. They were a threat, and then later on it's like oh now you're going to use that threat because you've grown as a leader and your ship has grown as a crew. You're going to use that as a weapon against the bad guy. Right, and poor Mathazar with uh, the ship was only this big. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God! That there the the Thermian performance is so brilliant in this. Film. Yes, yeah. The way they do that, the the <laughs> sing song dialogue and the the facial movements and all of it. And I like yeah. I love Missy Pyle having to be mute in her first scene. Yeah, and just doing the blah, 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 yeah because her, weird what, sound. Does she not talk? Oh, her translator. Her translator is broken. Yeah. <laughs> That was perfect, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The Mona Lisa, the Hope Diamond, the sarcophagus of King to Uncommon. Humanity has accumulated hundreds upon hundreds of priceless artifacts and treasures, each one the physical embodiment of a certain time and place. But for all of humankind's greatest achievements, we also kind of suck. For every priceless painting on display in the Louvre, there is another masterpiece stolen and bartered off in an underground auction, or even collecting dust in your grandmother's attic. 
Each week, Relic, the Lost Treasure podcast, explores the strange, but mostly true, tales behind history's greatest lost treasures. If you like unsolved mysteries and true crime, with maybe a little less murder, but certainly a few weird deaths, then you should come along on the journey. Join me, Maxwell, as I dig beneath the couch cushions of history. You can find Relic on iTunes, or stream us at relic.blueberry.net. That's blueberry without the E's. Adventure awaits. So the one thing I I should also throw out, I guess, is a little jab. Tim Allen kind of stopped being relevant after this film. (laughs) Well, he became a TV show for, I don't know the name of it, something like... Last Man Standing. I mean, he did he did yeah. home improve. I mean, it's, it's interesting because he did home improvement and then home improvement ended. And they talk again in that documentary about how he, he kind of almost could have been his own character in this of yeah. worried about worried about is that moment of fame all he's going to get? You know, that uh, the home improvement in a Santa Claus movie, I think, is what they said in the documentary. <laughs> <laughs> and I find it interesting that the projects he goes on to do after this one don't tend to be as successful. And then when he returns to TV for last man standing, you're right. And as I said, it was a jab because I know he's been on TV for the last like six or eight years with last man standing, but especially as he personally kind of started making some political comments, it became more of a niche audience thing. Oh, it really is a niche audience thing. Yeah. And I'm not in that audience. <laughs> oh, I'm not either. And he's a local guy because, I mean, he drives his Ferrari up and down Woodward all the time. But that's him, you know. Right. And he's only got his niche audience at this point. Right. So, and so, so to me, it was almost a little refreshing revisiting this movie and seeing him again and going, oh, right. Remember when Tim Allen was a big funny. deal? <laughs> well, and funny. Yes, I was going to say funny, but I was trying not to be mean. I mean, you've got the Toy Story movies. You can't take that away from him. No, no. But I mean, that was back when he was, you know, funny. <laughs> yeah, he's in Toy Story 4. How much? <laughs> yeah. Let's not bring that sore wound up. Um, <laughs> I didn't mind Toy Story 4. I didn't love it, but. <laughs> it's not the old ones. And then I guess no discussion of the cast is is really complete without mentioning Robin Sachs, who is the villain, Saris. Yes. And and that performance really gained a special place in my heart when I first saw this movie because I was a huge fan of Babylon 5. And he was doing a lot of the masked alien prosthetic, you know, you under the prosthetic makeup type aliens in Babylon 5. So it was like, oh, here's a Babylon 5. I didn't realize at the time he was in Buffy. You know, he had done. Oh, really? He did a couple episodes of Buffy. He was Rupert's uh, friend who, you know, come back and tease him about being Ripper. And he was the bad guy, Ethan. I didn't realize it was the same dude. He ran the haunted Halloween costume place in season two, where they buy the Halloween costumes and they end up turning into (laughs) whatever their costume was. They really do just use the same actors over time. <laughs> Starting to look like BBC in here. But he's but he's really good in this, in this but he also gets to be completely over the top villainous. Oh yeah. Type thing. Yeah, no question there. I mean just he's ruthless in this. Yeah. But that's enjoyable to watch. It fits this kind of a movie to have yeah. that. I mean, as I said, 
you know, my introduction to Star Trek was Wrath of Khan, and you have uh, Ricardo Montalban with a rubber chest plate, you know, to, to, to have <laughs> muscles, uh, wearing this exposed chest, which is really like a rubber plate, uh, quoting Shakespeare and, you know, like, some of his lines are just, <laughs> they're, they are an 11, you know, on the, on the uh, spinal tap range. They, they are easily an 11, maybe a 12. That's, so, that's impressive. Now I have to watch it. So the genre kind of fits that kind of over-the-top acting. Yeah. Uh, and then I love the way they use the fandom, you know, the, the, the Justin Long playing Brandon, the fan. I was going to ask, is this his first movie? Because he looks like he's 12. Uh, he was 20. Okay. Well, he still looks 12. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and, and some of the other members of uh, the, the production company said that you could put him in that role today and he'd still look the same. <laughs> Uh, but I love his character being that fan, the one yes. who obviously knows it's a TV show, but still has trouble delineating between what do you ask the actor, you know, who was who was reading pages in a script, you know, yeah. like he's asking a question and I just could I could see and I like I saw Jimmy Dewan at one point who played Scotty in the classic and somebody asked him some question about dilithium crystals and his answer to them was, you know, I just read what was on the page <laughs> and I could see uh, the characters giving Brandon that kind of a response to his question. Well, yeah, but he also then becomes kind of the hero. Well, yeah, because he knows his, you know, his tech. Right. And that's the point, you know, let's get the other guys online. They know the tunnels like nobody else. <laughs> right, because multi-video conferencing uh, over the internet was a thing in 1999. <laughs> Maybe on AOL. <laughs> uh, I was on AOL briefly. No, <laughs> no, it wasn't. Um, yeah, it was a little futuristic with that kind of thing. But I, I love the fact that they turned him in. And I also, I didn't catch before. That was a new thing I caught this time. Is when the Thermians show up for Jason, he thinks it's this specific gig that he has booked. Right. Right. And and so that's he gets in the limo and goes with them and he thinks it's the specific gig. And then when he returns to back for the car dealership to go tell the rest of the people about what happened, he bumps into Brandon. That's when they, they switch the communicators. That's another one of those callbacks that happens later on. Right. You know, they swap the communicators, but not a big deal is made out of it. So you don't have it hit over the head of, oh, they're going to go back to that later in the movie. So it becomes this right. part of the story. Uh, it's just such a well-crafted script. But when he uh, bumps into him, Brandon says, you weren't at the thing. And suddenly I realized, oh, the gig that he was supposed to be hired for was by Brandon and his friends. Right. And that's he doesn't make it to that. Now, he, he doesn't blow them off because he's being a jerk. He blows them off because he's in outer space. Yeah, he's, he's <laughs> light years away. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> But I never caught that before. But that's Brandon. Brandon is actually responsible for my favorite punchline in this movie. Which one is that? Which is the the take the 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 middle of him relaying information to to Jason and and uh, Gwen, and then suddenly there's no answer on the communicator, and it cuts to him having to take out the trash. Oh yeah, and I just <laughs> that is my favorite comedic beat in this movie. There are there are many good ones. We already quoted Gwen a couple of times. Uh, some of hers are great, and, and Alan Rickman, but. For just just in the moment laughter, that is the moment that just makes me <laughs> laugh about him having to take out the trash and his mother yelling about the recycling and him being like, you have no idea how inconvenient this is. <laughs> 
I implore you, mother. Followed by when he's taking the bottle rockets out later mm-hmm. for kind of the, the flight of the navigator moment there at the end. And they're like, where are you going with all those bottle rockets? And he's explaining it to them. And it's just like my eyes glaze over at that. Right. But the mom's like, oh, OK, dinner's at seven. <laughs> like I could see my son explaining something to me like that, you know, Minecraft wise or Fortnite wise, something that I'm not into that he's in and it meaning the world to him. <laughs> And me just being like, okay, dinner's at eight, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) Just go have fun. I'll see you later. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, not knowing Star Trek, there are some of these things that you wouldn't necessarily get because like when Jason first shows the rest of the crew, the ship, like, Mm -hmm. you know, they're in the, they're in the, uh, Spaceport. Yeah, spaceport. They're in the yeah. spaceport. And you know, you have that go down, and then you have all those beauty shots of the ship. Yes. And that's kind of a nod to Star Trek the Motion Picture, which as much as I recommend Wrath of Khan, do not watch Star Trek the Motion Picture. Um, they went a little overboard on their beauty shots. So literally, like when they <laughs> first see the Enterprise in spaceport, it's like five minutes of soaring orchestral (laughs) music and beauty shots of the enterprise from every freaking angle you possibly could shove a camera um because because they spent a lot of money on these effects i get it but at the same time you 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 literally brought the movie to a crashing halt to show us the ship well when did that movie come out too uh the motion picture i want to say 79 all right that makes sense so they probably spent a lot of money in 79 to do you know still frames of a hot wheels car (laughs) (laughs) you're not wrong (laughs) and make it look amazing on a giant screen (laughs) yeah and that's i think that's part of what they were kind of going for with that moment when jason is showing them the ship but they're doing it in a playful way and they're not doing it to excess Right. And that's what Alan Rickman's character says. He's like, it's real. It's bloody real. Right. (laughs) (laughs) God, Alan Rickman in this movie. So good. (laughs) They apparently were working on a sequel. It's I knew that there was talk of doing a TV series like for for Amazon or somebody, but doing essentially a, a television series. Oh, that would be amazing. See, I'm on the other side of the spectrum of that. I'm like, don't you get that that was the joke? If they kept it lighthearted and kind of tongue in cheek, I could see it being fun. If they took it serious, kind of like what the original Galaxy Quest was supposed to be, right? It kind of takes the fun out of it. And see, that's what I assumed it would be. Would be more of the the seriousness of the real quote unquote Galaxy Quest. <laughs> see, I don't know if I'd want to see just a cover or a copy of star Trek just done in the galaxy quest universe. I'd rather see the lightheartedness that kind of like what they did on their mission when they were going to find the beryllium spears. I'd rather see that fun part where they're kind of arguing at each other and saying, Oh, they look like children and then getting scared and running away. (laughs) Well, and I I think some of it is, um, you know, that, as I said, there were, there were plans for a sequel. I knew there were plans for a TV show. I can't seem to find whether it was, the sequel plan or whether there was a separate sequel plan, those plans died uh, when Alan Rickman passed away, which is, and I can understand that. Yeah. I I mean, I, I could see them trying to make galaxy quest a real thing through a TV series. And 
that's not to say it wouldn't be successful. I mean, for for a couple of years, <laughs> the Orville was the best Star Trek series that had been on TV in quite a few years. And right. The, and it wasn't Star Trek. It was just made by someone who very clearly loved Star Trek and made a product that represented their love of Star Trek, kind of kind of the way Galaxy Quest does. J.J. Abrams on one of the Star Trek, one of the more recent Star Trek, the J.J. Abrams Star Trek movies, J.J. Abrams says he counts this as a Star Trek movie. It honestly kind of feels like it. Yeah. And it was, I, I don't have it in front of me, but there was some poll that they ran where this uh, favorite Star Trek movies where this made it onto the poll and ended up coming in like number, like 12th place. And see, I was thinking if you could take this movie and kind of the book of red shirts by John Scalzi and <laughs> mash the two together, you'd have an amazing show. Um, my camera <laughs> won't pick it up. I literally have red shirts, John Scalzi at the top <laughs> of my notes to bring up. <laughs> yeah, if you could mash those two together, it'd be perfect. So for those who don't know, uh, Red Shirts is a book, is a novel written by John Scalzi, who is a fantastic uh, sci-fi slash comic, comedic sci-fi writer. Yes. Um, where he writes about the, the Red Shirts, it, basically in a Star Trek kind of universe, uh, you know, the joke, of course, being the people in the Red Shirts are always the first to die. And in the course of his novel, the Red Shirts become aware that they're the ones who are being sent to die. And also over the course of the series novel, then become aware that they're in a TV show. <laughs> and not only that, a really poorly written TV show that doesn't get very good ratings. <laughs> like Galaxy Quest. <laughs> like Galaxy Quest. <laughs> so they have to go back and save themselves. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a great novel. It is well, I mean it is amazing a novel. fantastic novel. But yeah, I mean that's combine this and that, yeah, you'd have fantastic product i mean this on oh, its yeah. own is a fantastic product yeah no question uh we i cannot believe we talked about the cast and we didn't talk i guess transitioning from red shirts about <laughs> guy well you gotta love guy just because he freaks out in every scene he's in <laughs> he says he based that performance on bill paxton's character in aliens and i can clearly see that <laughs> Yeah, it really does feel like this is the the natural progression for that character. But I I love the fact that through this character they address that red shirt problem. Well, yeah. They they address it like they acknowledge that it is a trope, but they don't make it a trope of their own movie. Right, because he goes into episode 81 and survives. <laughs> We're doing episode 81. No, I die in episode 81. Okay, we'll pretend this is 51. <laughs> but, I also, but I also know people like his character at the beginning of the movie trying to weasel his way onto the autograph table. Yeah. I have seen, and I'm not, not weasel their way, but I have seen actors who have had bit parts in science fiction series and they appear as guests at cons. And they are sitting right there selling their autographs for the same price as, you know, the, the big <laughs> stars. And it's like, really? Yeah, no, that doesn't work that way. I mean, and but they, but that's how they're trying to eke out a living is like the acting. I mean, I, I acting is a hard profession. Like it's hard oh, getting no roles. So if you get one of those, I get embracing it. But is there a point where you cross from embracing it to exploiting it? Well, I don't know if exploiting is the right word, but maybe just 
trying to tow your way into where the big names are, yeah. like on their coat heels. Yeah. Mm, or coattails, whatever it's called. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, one of, one of my favorite lines from the, the show is when they're all trying to run away when the, the little monsters are chasing them and, and Gwen turns around and says, save Guy! <laughs> right, yes, they're running away. She says, yeah, keep them from eating Guy or something like that. Let's yeah. get out of here before they eat Guy. <laughs> yeah. I love that scene with the cute, oh, the cute little aliens and then they see the little hurt one and oh, they're helping it and then they <laughs> they bash its head in. to eat it. Oh my God. And they're, the the cast reaction to that moment is so brilliant. I love it. I love it. I love it. I know. It's just it's an amazing movie. Yeah. Do you think? Do you think Fred? Now I know they they lightened the movie up to make it this PG rating and to to get it to make it more a little more family friendly. Do you think in a more explicit cut they make it a little clearer that Fred is stoned out of his mind all the time? <laughs> I want to say yes because he's really got that vibe going through the entire thing. But I love how they make it happen. And again, that's why I was kind of wondering in a, in a more explicit cut, is it more overt? Because what I love is it comes across that way without ever hinting at it. I mean, somebody does ask him at one point if he's stoned. I did. I did catch that. There's a yes. guy asks him, um, but like when they're taking the shuttle down to that planet with the little aliens that we were just talking about, and he's eating cheese and crackers. He's yeah. eating cheese and crackers. <laughs> Everybody else is panicking because Laredo doesn't actually know how to pilot these ships. No, and he's like bouncing off the tops of rocks, and he's just over there munching on cheese and crackers. But like <laughs> when the when the um, the engine breaks and he comes on the screen and he's like. Hey guys, um, you guys like broke the engine and we're going to need to like find another one somewhere. Um, did I get that right? Yeah, no, he, I love that he, he turns to them at one point and is like, yeah, and you guys were right again. Good job. Like, yeah, and he's like, how he about a hug? No shit. <laughs> yeah, he's like, how about a hug? How about a hug? Yeah. <laughs> or like at the end, you see how that door stuck? I'll get my guys down here with some WD-40. <laughs> And he just ejected a bunch of bad guys out into space. <laughs> and he's worried about this, the squeaky door or the, the sticky know. door. Yeah, I, I, I loved, I, I loved that it, that performance. But it does make me wonder if he's stoned out of his mind. <laughs> or like, like Sigourney Weaver when they were running. I forget which part. It was either before or after the the, the chompers. They dubbed her voice instead of saying, "Was it F that?" She yes. says, "Forget that. Screw that." Screw that. They, yeah, they her had mouth, to dub her. Her mouth very it clearly, clearly cuz if you mute it, you know what she said. <laughs> yeah. It's uh it's when they see the chompers. It's the first Okay, thing. this yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um th th there's actually a bit on the the documentary about that that they the, he he said not only did they not dub it smoothly, but he's the director said he was pretty sure he uh, he made her give kind of a poor reading of it as well. <laughs> Yeah, it wasn't the first time I saw it, but it was one of the subsequent viewings shortly after that. I'm like, that doesn't say forget. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What have we not talked about about Galaxy Quest that you wanted to make sure we get in? Um, the music is breathtaking. It is. Just just listening to that orchestral piece come up in the beginning, even when they're playing the old historical documents just it just it brings a, a warmth to my heart every time i hear it 
Yeah, it's a very good theme. It's uh, a really it, it almost sounds Williams like just a very, very warm, just it's really well done. Yeah. The music is amazing. Yeah, well, I mean, it is um David Newman. Oh, really? So it is, yeah. So it is David Newman. So it's it's somebody with it's you know, still good. Yeah. Plenty of experience in scoring, and he and he does a great job with it. I oh, mean, yeah, yeah, it's it's a fantastic score. Yeah, because every time I hear it, I just I get that warm feeling, kind of like the first time you hear Indiana Jones. <laughs> it's just it's good. It is it's very iconic. It's and very I, iconic, but, yeah. But again, I like the fact that it's iconic and attached to one project rather than rather than trying to make this into a franchise. Yeah. Leaving it at one film, but having this iconic score is just kind of it's nice for me. You know, yeah, and as I, I mean, obviously, there's still stuff in it that I found because sitting down, like, like I have two or three notes here that are like, oh, I never caught that before. Well, I know on the special features um, on the DVD when they were talking about building the set, they actually put pistons and stuff underneath the the set. They, they did, yeah. So when bombs and stuff hit, they actually launched the people across the stage, <laughs> and apparently that's when Tommy hurt his arm. So he was really in a cast for part of it. Oh, really? That <laughs> he, I didn't he catch. He hurt his he hurt his elbow. So when he's sitting at the command table when they're talking about where to find William Spears and stuff, he's actually in a cast. <laughs> Well, I knew they had done that to add a little more authenticity than just the actors, you know, all right, everybody move left, you know, right, right. <laughs> they actually launched them out of the chairs to, to, to ship right. them back and forth. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's such a good production and it's, yes. it, again, I cannot recommend that documentary enough because it, it really does. It also showcases what this movie could have been because True. it originally was supposed to be a Harold Ramey's film. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. It was and and uh and he did not want Tim Allen on it. And they they talk about that on the documentary. And uh um you know, it it, it just it, and it was originally a lot more cursing and it was cut back to a PG film because the studio wanted a family-friendly film. I can understand and then, that. And then they missed more. And one of the things they talk about in that is the director wanted it to have kind of a Wizard of Oz moment where Jason is in the limo and he falls asleep. Like he says this thing about, I'm going to, I'm going to rest my eyes, but I'm listening to you. Just keep going. Mm -hmm. And then he wakes up on the ship and the yeah. studio insisted on that shot of the limo pulling into the alleyway and getting lifted up. Zoop. And yep. the director didn't want that shot. He wanted it to be kind of, he falls asleep in the car. And then there's this little niggling in the back of the audience's head throughout the rest of, is this just Jason having a dream and he's still asleep in the limo? Oh, that might have been better. Right? That might have <laughs> been better. So I do highly, it's very rare for me to be like, God, go see. I mean, I guess I did when we did uh, Emperor's New Groove. The, the documentary about the making of that was pretty killer as well. But yeah. Uh, all right, man, let's move into the end game here. Okay. Uh, first up, we have the algorithm says this is a lightning round of movies <laughs> that you will like because you like Galaxy Quest. Your reactions. Do you like them? Do you not like them? Have you not seen them in a lot of in some of these cases? You're definitely going to say I have not seen that. So <laughs> uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh, I've seen it, read the book and I own the book. I own several copies of the book. Love the movie, which, of course, uh, has Guy and uh uh, Alex in it. <laughs> yep. Oh, his portrayal of, of Marvin the robot is amazing. Yeah. 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 Uh, I, I do have all five of the trilogy books. <laughs> right. I love I love it when they put out book five of the ever increasingly misnamed Hitchhiker's Guide trilogy. 
Douglas Adams is one of my just writing heroes, and he's the one yes. like I I quote because he he talks about he hates he hates writing or he hated writing yeah but he loved having written and i yeah. i feel that so often <laughs> whenever i need inspiration i read it i read any of those books uh, it's uh, perfect <laughs> all right space balls yes seen it love it yep uh stargate which one <laughs> the the only film the the oh original... i didn't know there was a film Oh yeah, the TV shows were based on this movie, Dean Devlin, Roland Emmerich movie. This was Roland Emmerich before he did uh, ID Four. He did Stargate. Oh, it's Kurt I... Russell, James Spader, uh, somebody else who I can't remember off the top of my head. Yeah, I didn't know there was a movie. I thought there was just a TV show. Nope. Yeah, the movie came first, and there's that's an interesting film to get into some of the history of as well. Speaking of like changes that were made along the way. Cause like they have this whole portion with aliens that they originally didn't want a subtitle. And like, if you watch that movie and ignore the subtitles, you have no idea what the hell is going on. <laughs> uh, okay. Starship troopers. Seen it. That's a weird one. Cause I saw that when it first came out. Um, the book is a ton better. Well, the book is a ton different. <laughs> it's entirely different. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Never surrender a galaxy quest documentary. <laughs> I have not seen it, but I'm yeah, going to definitely it's on uh, prime. I highly recommend it. Okay. Um, evolution. I have seen it just because my wife is a huge David Duchovny fan and we have the movie on VHS of all things. <laughs> and I'm sad to say I've seen it more than once. Oh, God, I mm -hmm. I saw it in the theater and was so deeply disappointed by it that I have thankfully never watched it again. It I I think it's atrocious. It's terrible. Yeah, it's it's it should be a barometer for shitty movies. <laughs> well, and see, I remember it came out in two thousand one because like everything that came out in two thousand one, the summer of two thousand one, was a disappointment. Like Pearl Harbor came mm. out that summer. Disappointment. Evolution came out. The first Laura Croft movie. You know, it was like, oh uh, God. It was it was so I just remember weekly going to the movie theater, excited about the new <laughs> release and walking home or driving home just hmm. Yeah. 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 Uh, Mystery Men. That was actually better than I expected it to be. Yeah. That was pretty entertaining. Yeah. I want that bowling ball. <laughs> I think kind of in the same way that Galaxy Quest is a parody and yet not of sci-fi movies. I think Mystery exactly. Men kind of has that for, for superhero movies. Yeah. Uh, okay. Buckaroo Bonsai Across the Eighth Dimension. Wow. Does that ring a bell? But I have no idea from where. No, you you know it if you've seen it. It's uh, Jeff Goldblum, Peter Weller from the RoboCop movies. Uh, it's it's it is a camp classic type film. Yeah. All no right. idea. Stay tuned. Yes. Really? Yes. That's really good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that I'll agree with really good, but uh, yeah, it's entertaining. That's the guy that gets sucked into his TV, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. All right. And then lastly, <laughs> Star Trek Four: the voyage home. No, <laughs> which is the one with the whales, by the way, just for future reference, you can 
go okay that's that's the one <laughs> so that's the one i avoid <laughs> no that's the one to see that's the, oh, okay. the even numbered ones are the good ones <laughs> that's the key <laughs> it kind of is especially with classic trek the even numbered ones were the good ones okay okay all right uh we always end with a pop quiz for multiple choice questions based on the movie are you ready sure all right uh, number one, many aspects of the script for Galaxy Quest were based on real events that actually happened. Which of the following was not based on a real event? A, one of the stars overhearing fans talking about what a joke their career was. B, one of the stars having an interview that was six paragraphs about their boobs fitting into their costume. C, one of the stars blowing up at their fans about how it was only a show. Or D, one of the stars holding their equipment upside down when using it on the show. Oh, God, it could be any of them. <laughs> Three of the four really happened. So which one wasn't? Yeah, which one did not actually happen? Um, probably holding the equipment upside down. No, Leonard Nimoy throughout the first season of Star Trek apparently <laughs> quite frequently had his tricorder upside down. Oh, great. Uh, yeah, the overhearing fans talking about what a joke their career was was William Shatner. Uh, the interview about six paragraphs about their boobs fitting into their costumes was Jerry Ryan, who played Seven of Nine. Oh, okay. Yeah, so the uh, actually blowing up at their fans about how it was only a show, that was the Shatner SNL sketch. Okay. All right, number two, and the reason I did not answer your question earlier. <laughs> number two, the movie marks the debut for several of the cast members, or the film debut for several of the cast members, who did not make their cinematic debut in Galaxy Quest. A, Sam Rockwell, who played Guy. B, Justin Logg, who played Brendan, C, Rain Wilson, who played Lonk, or D, Missy Pyle, who played Lalieri? I'll say Justin Long. It was Justin Long's first movie. It okay. was Rain Wilson's first movie, and it was Missy Pyle's first major role. She had had a couple of small ones. It was not Sam Rockwell's, which I, which is why I laughed my ass off when the documentary said, who the hell is Sam, is, is, is Sam Rockwell? <laughs> because he had a, an IMDb list of a good like eight or nine credits before he did this. So uh, number three, the sing-song delivery of the Thermians talking was not something that appeared in the script. Who came up with that way of the aliens talking? A, director Dean Pariseau, B, casting director Deborah Zane, C, actor Alan Rickman, or D, actor Enrico Colantoni? I'd say Enrique. Enrico, but yes. Enrico, yeah. Yes, he did it during his audition, <laughs> and they liked it so much that Deborah Zane actually used that to show other auditioners what to do before they had even officially cast him in the role. Oh, nice. Because <laughs> it just fits. It yeah. just fits. All right, last one. The registry for the ship, the NSEA protector, is NTE-3120. What does NTE stand for? A, not the Enterprise. B, never give, etc. C, Nyctos, Tirana, Everclear. Or D, no touchy ever. <laughs> not the Enterprise. It is not the Enterprise. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> I had to throw the Nyctos in there. Did you catch the uh, uh, the other Day the Earth is Still reference that's in the movie? No. Where yeah, is they it? are they are the Thermians from the Klaatu Nebula, oh, and Jesus. of course the <laughs> Day the Earth Stood Still Klaatu Barada Nyctos is the the yeah. key phrase. <laughs> All right, man. Uh, where can people find you? What do you want to promote? Well, we sometimes do an occasional podcast <laughs> about Warcraft. Uh, <laughs> citizens of Azeroth. Other than that, I'm just on Twitter at talent underscore Chris. All right. That's about it. 
<laughs> fantastic man well this was a treat um thank you for for kind of coming in at the last minute uh, i oh, know no we had problem. picked this movie months ago but i really appreciate yeah. you kind of scrambling to make this happen um and it was a treat for me because i wasn't expecting to watch this movie this week so when it was like oh this is what i'm watching i threw it in and i was like oh god i really do love this movie <laughs> oh it's a blast to watch i yeah. Yeah, even Marissa came down. She's like, you watching that again? I'm like, well, it's been a couple months. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, man. Never give up. Never surrender. <laughs> so that does it for this week, but you can keep the conversation going throughout the week on social media. Share your thoughts about Galaxy Quest, or maybe tell me about a movie you'd like to come on the show and talk about. You can find me at Talnhess, that's T-A-L-N-H-E-S-S, on Twitter and Letterboxd. Or the show at Have Not Seen This on Twitter. On Facebook, we're at Have Not Seen This Podcast, or you can email me at Have Not Seen This at gmail.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, including next week's episode. Poster, will ya? Does this help? Yeah, thanks. Do you mean to tell me that you could have taken your hand out of that cuff at any time? No, not at any time. Only when it was funny. This podcast is available through all major podcast sources. Positive ratings and reviews are always welcome, as is just sharing the podcast with a friend and spreading the love. Special thanks to Chris Talent for our wonderful theme song and for providing this week's conversation. Until next week, I'm Rafe Telsch, and this has been Have Not Seen This. Be kind to each other. (laughs) 